starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie! Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV, do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Hello, everybody! Welcome back to a- another episode of my podcast, But Ma, that's my favorite movie. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. You're a real one, period. And if you are a new listener, and this is your first time listening to this podcast, welcome. And we have some great content for you today. So we're going to be doing something a little bit differently in this episode compared to the other ones. And I guess we'll go ahead and start with the title here, uh, which is a little different as well. It is, But Ma, That's Gone with the Wind. So if you haven't guessed yet, we're going to be talking about the movie Gone with the Wind. Now, what I do with my podcast is I plan my episodes ahead of time. And when I wanted to choose what movie I wanted to do an analysis of. I knew I wanted to do something that was a classic um, because I definitely want to pay homage to classic movies as well. So not just talking about modern movies, but talking about movies that are deemed to be classics. And I have been on an absolute mission to catch up (laughs) and watch all of the movies that are must-sees that are classics right and so and so I've never seen this movie so you're first-handedly like learning and we're going to be talking about this movie together and it it's like a it's it's a first hand experience because like I said this was my first time watching the movie, so it was definitely an experience. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about one movie. So, normally my previous nine episodes, I'll talk I'll have a theme, and I will talk about two different movies, like briefly go over them, give you some behind the scenes information, and that you know just introducing a movie a movie that i have i enjoy watching but in this episode we're going to go through just one movie in its entirety and basically like a play by play scene by scene you're basically going to get an oral version of the movie um but before we actually dive into this movie i wanted to just kind of talk about classic movies as a whole because I feel like it can be defined by three different factors. And of course, if you agree with me, let me know, comment. If you disagree or if you have um, some sort of other perspective on it, definitely comment, you know, let me know. I would love to, you know, discuss this because that's why I have a podcast about movies because I love talking about movies. Duh. Okay, so the three things... I feel as though like the three different types of classics. We have a classic by time, which in my opinion, I feel that's what makes Gone with the Wind a classic, but it can also merge with another one, which would be classic by content. 
So the type of story, the type of characters, the dialogue, the situations, all of that will deem it a classic where people will continue to watch it years down the line. So it's not simply because of its time, here's this movie, it was greatly made, but because of what's actually in the movie. And I I feel anything that's classic by time can be made at any point in history or can be made at any in any year. So like let's say for example we had a movie came out in 2019 but that's a classic movie because of what it's about. And then we have cult classics which I would say that a cult classic is a movie that's definable by more than the general story but by the individual characters or maybe the quirkiness of the story or the the one-liners you can quote this movie so easily or there's just things or certain aspects that are very vivid within the story that it's not like your typical classic but it's um you know it's a cult classic and just looking at by definition what a cult classic is typically a movie or book that is popular or fashionable among a particular group or section of society so this is saying this is relating to a certain group of people. So it has to have some sort of humor or some sort of dialogue or people that can relate to a certain group. But I feel like it's, you know, it's more than I think it's just what's within it. If that makes sense. Like they have, you know, one that I can think of off the top of my head is like mean girls i mean there are certain days in the movie that people literally go back to that day and remember it came from that movie which i'm that's actually <laughs> the next episode is gonna be mean girl we're gonna go into cult classics and yeah let me uh let me just talk about that too so i will be doing classic movies because you have to pay homage to those at the end of the day because they are a huge part of how movies are made today, where movies branch from, the idea, the uh, the like good examples of well-made movies that you know will stand the test of time, and so I'll be talking about more classic movies, and then I want to talk about cult classics as well, and yes, that's definitely gonna be that that's a little I guess a little sneak peek you'll know what will be going on next Thursday if you listen to the episode but yes Mean Girls will be the next one so yeah those are the three that I think really define the classics and I'm really excited to you know dive into this series as well and then really just being able to watch these movies I'm seeing these movies for the first time I'm seeing them on my own time because I cannot stand when people, like, to a certain extent, people want me to, you know, oh, you have to watch this movie. But I have to want to watch it because I want to watch it. I want to enjoy it. And I won't look at it in a subjective way and already count it out and be like, Ugh, I'm bored. Now, before I get into uh, talking about the whole movie, I just want to say this. I am going to talk about it objectively and watch the movie for what it is. Uh, 
And then at the end, end, I'm going to give my final thoughts on it and how I honestly feel not only just to this movie, but just to classics in general. Um, so you'll really know how I feel because even though I am going to watch these classics, I do have sort of a side eye to it, but I'm going to share all of that at the end. And yeah, let's just get started into the movie. So, Gone with the Wind. This was released December 15th, 1939. And like I've told y'all before, y'all know my Bible is IMDB. And on there, it has said January 7th, 1940. So, I'm not sure. Because everywhere you look, Gone with the Wind is considered to come out in 1939. So, I'm not quite sure what. Unless maybe the Hollywood premiere the official premiere is December 15th and maybe the national release was January 7th, 1940. But either way, well known, this movie is, came out in 1939 and got a whole bunch of praise and they were even throwing parades and everything else. Like this movie was such, such a big deal in its time. And... The runtime of this movie, you will not believe this because I had no idea. I normally don't look to see how long a movie is, but I don't expect it to be super long. Why didn't nobody tell me this movie was three hours and 58 minutes? It's two disc. Now, I bought this movie and I bought this movie. I actually bought this movie some months back because I think it was on like three or five bucks. And I was like, well, it's a classic. It's not that much. Maybe I could even end up doing like a review or analysis of the movie. So, yeah, it came in handy. <laughs> um, It's good to talk about movies I already own. But anyways, so, yeah. And, and what's crazy is this movie came under fire right when the protests were coming out. The Black Lives Matter movement became more prominent and this was one of the movies that was talked about, which I think it's kind of crazy because HBO has had this movie on their platform. And apparently they initially they just removed it completely because they felt the content was, of course, insensitive to black people because how it depicts black people within slavery you know, they dumb them down, they make them less than, their their parts are, the, the part is only to be a servant, to be a servant to someone rather than being their own person. They don't really have a backstory. There's not really much to them other than what, you know, they're given. And so, of course, there's, yeah pretty obvious i mean you have a movie that didn't give people of color a black person a role to play other than a servant so yeah i mean that is pretty offensive (laughs) and so i don't i don't know why this movie out of every movie that has been done that's completely insensitive is the only one that during that time needed to be taken down but okay they just said okay we'll pick a movie we'll choose one from 1939 which to a certain point we understand the extent of that time and how it's appropriate for that time compared to you you can't do a movie about 
2020 and then that's the roles that black people get of course we know that doesn't make sense because that's there's slavery but like in a different way <laughs> but we're not going to get into all that so yes HBO took it down but then they put it back up and it was only within a week but it's almost like they wanted to turn it into a lesson so to say yes this movie is insensitive but it's a lesson within it and it's like a it's a teachable moment because of course there's things in history we're supposedly taught even though there's a lot of stuff taken out of history so but that's besides the point but generally we teach history so that it doesn't repeat itself and so this is a teachable movie you know about racism how you know you don't treat people less than and how you know it it just it's just it's just a lot that you can learn so they put a 4 minute intro they did a scholar scholarly 4 minute intro that basically put the dated view of a romantic antebellum southern plantation life supported by slavery into perspective. So they're basically saying, we understand that this isn't appropriate now, but this is appropriate for its particular time. And they also included a discussion panel. Now, when I got this off IMDb, it says, Gone with the Wind, a complicated legacy. And I just wanted to Google it on YouTube to see, okay, well, what is that about? That was very interesting. And it's titled A Complicated Legacy Gone with the Wind. And they have four panelists, you know, producers, writers, movie critics, and they're all discussing the movie and the characters, of course, you know, dealing with the racism in it and also just talking about the characters themselves. And I watched a little bit of it. And it was very insightful. So I recommend after this, if, if you want some real insight into the movie, definitely check that out. Okay, so just to kind of get into some cast here. Um, they, had a, they had main players in the movie that were repeated. And they also had some that were in the background. But I'm just going to kind of, you know, just give some that are the the biggest players in this movie we have vivian lee which this was my first movie i've ever seen her in she plays the scarlet o'hara i always want to say o'hare but it's o'hara i believe and if i'm saying that wrong sorry about it okay we have hattie mcdaniel who was the first black woman to win best supporting actress and then we have Thomas Mitchell. He played Gerald O'Hara, uh, Butterfly McQueen, who played Prissy. And I thought it was crazy because I've never really heard, like, I've heard that name, but not in context of who she is or what she's actually been in. And the whole movie, I was waiting for someone to say Butterfly McQueen. McQueen and I was like, well, who's that character? Because I thought that name was the character's name in the movie. And then I was like... She was Prissy. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's such an interesting, that's such a unique name. And I, I believe that's her stage name. I don't know if that was her real, real name. Um, but then we have Olivia D. Havland, Havland, who played Melanie Hamilton, Leslie Howard pay, 
played Ashley Wilkies. Harry Davenport played Dr. Mead. Clark Gable played Rhett Butler. I've heard about Clark Gable a lot. So this was my first Clark Gable movie uh, seeing him in. We have Evelyn Keyes, who played Sue Ellen. Barbara O'Neill, who played Ellen. George Reese, who played Stuart Tarleton. Fred Crane, who played Brent Tarleton. And, of course, there's many others that kind of, you know, make their way um, into the movie. But, those, like I said, those are just, like, the main players in the movies. And some that are actually mentioned when I talk about the movie. Okay, so, this movie, the time period is the 1800s. And it's in the state of Georgia. And the opening of this movie is, they literally explain that this was a good time you know when you had when you had your master and your slave and just life was beautiful so the south is really glamorized in all of their efforts and attributes and how they made a way for themselves and how they made a way for black people even though they were slaves but Th- that is the 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 big point in the beginning is just how great the South was in its time. So we first get introduced to Scarlett O'Hare and we learn that her family's well off. They own this plantation, which is called Tara. And Tara is talked about. It's like a big thing throughout the whole movie. Um, so they own this plantation, you know, they have their own slaves, they have overseers, you know, they're, they're very well off family. And so we meet Scarlett, who has two sisters, which are Sue Ellen and India, I believe. Yes. And so in the very beginning of the movie, we see actually... Scarlet talking to two men because this is when we're first really realizing this is when we're first really realizing the power that Scarlet has and we we're also realizing how much of a interesting person Scarlet is Scarlet isn't your typical woman okay especially in a movie in this time Scarlet is all about Scarlet. And if it's not about Scarlet, then what are we talking about type of person? So we're at a time where it seems like the North and South, North and South are going to be going to war against each other because, well, what we know as the Civil War. And of course, with South and their ways and how things are, they're very confident that they are going to win. And it's actually something they're excited about. No one is dreading war coming. They're actually super excited because then uh, their their values, their laws, the way they run life, of course, if they win, then that's going to be something that's going to be spread across the nation rather than just where it is. Because the North and South laws at that time... I'm pretty sure we're pretty different um, because the values and, you know, keeping slaves, not keeping slaves. It just, 
it was just very different. You always hear people talk about how it is up north versus the south. So everybody was super excited about it. But of course, Scarlett is like, why are we talking about war? We don't care because the two guys are talking to her about it. So she doesn't really care. doesn't really interest her. Her main thing is she is, she has her eyes on a particular bow. And that is Ashley Wilkie's, okay? When I tell you she is so in love with this man, she would, I would die for you type of stuff, okay? She loves some Ashley. And Ashley is actually the son of another plantation owner that's not that far from them called 12 Oaks. And she is absolutely in love with him and she wants to be with him. Now, she ends up finding out because they're about to have this ball, this almost like mixer where, you know, all the women and all the available guys are going to like be together in one setting, but everyone is trying to pretty much find their suitor to see who they match up with. And before Scarlett goes to this mixer, I guess you could say, uh, she, she already has her eyes on who she wants, but she ends up finding out that he has plans to marry another woman, which her name is Melanie. And of course, she's very upset about this, but since she's a very determined woman and whenever she has the eyes on the prize, she's going to go for it, okay? So whenever she goes to this party, she sees Ashley there and, you know, instantly she, she wants alone time with him. She wants to talk to him because she has to convince him to marry her because this is the absolute love of her life. But we get a glimpse of how we get a glimpse of how desired Scarlet is amongst those are all the guys around her. Most of the guys are kind of want her, and she has all these people that want her, and yet she only has eyes on one person. And this one person is the only person that doesn't want her. And, and you know, that's typically how it goes in life is you you always want the person who doesn't want you. You're going to chase the person who's running from you. And you have all these other people that are standing in line willing to drink your bath water. And yet you're like, no, I don't want you. So... So we're also, so like we're steady getting, you know, these glimpse of who Scarlett really is because she's a really cutthroat person. And at one point when Ashley and her are speaking, you know, she's like trying to get a minute alone with them. And he's like, oh, well, I got to go talk to Melanie. Hey, you should go say hi to Melanie. You know, of course, just being cordial, you know, nice. And she's just like, just has this disdained look on her face like she's like oh my god I can't stand her like I don't like being honest like I don't want to talk to her like I'm trying to talk to you but of course he 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 doesn't want Scarlett like that so he's still making a point to you know go and talk to Melanie because he's like I know you went a long time with me but you know I have other things to do because he true he knows her feelings towards him she doesn't have to convince him nothing 
but he knows that he can't reciprocate that and we're gonna learn this throughout the freaking story it's crazy y'all then we learn about another character so you know so far we have you know we've met her sisters we met her dad her family her mom Ashley and then at this little party we learn about Rhett who is a main player in the film as well and Rhett becomes the cat chasing the mouse okay so just like Scarlet is chasing Ashley Rhett begins to chase Scarlet because he instantly sees her find something in him in her that he loves and so he's like okay and we learn about we learn a little bit about his character that basically his family is like the black sheep amongst all the families in that area he doesn't have the best reputation that I, I mean I couldn't really I couldn't really figure out what was the bad reputation he had I don't know if he kind of just went from place to place or uh, the people he mingled with, uh, but he just did not have the best reputation. And so, of course, initially when Scarlet learns about him, of course, she's her interest ex is spiked a little bit, but then that quickly goes away when she her focus goes back onto trying to get access to her Ashley. So then. Um, at one point, and I guess this was common during parties, or maybe if the parties were long, or I don't know if this was a thing back then, um, but all the women are supposed to nap at a certain point. So, you know, they undress, they all sleep in this room. But of course, since Scarlett is on her mission, she's like, yeah, I can't go to sleep, or actually, I won't go to sleep. Let me get Ashley alone like I was trying to do earlier. So she does end up getting up, getting dressed, and she, she you know, is on the hunt. She's going to look for Ashley while, because this is the perfect timing. All the girls are asleep. I can get him to myself, finally. So as she is looking around for Ashley, we we get to a scene where we see all of the men gather together and they're talking about war and basically how they're they're ready for it they're excited about it and pretty much at the drop of a pin if, if they say that it's gonna happen they are ready and these guys are going to volunteer they're gonna enlist no one is backing away from it they're actually hoping that this is something that's gonna happen so then at some point you know right he he's within the discussion and you know he's talking about it but of course the guys aren't they don't like him and it's tension between them and him he, he's definitely the outcast and so at one point he ends up leaving and the the men ask Ashley to go after him just to make sure he's not going to be starting anything and that is Scarlett's that is Scarlett's moment to get Ashley alone. She gets him alone in this room and she starts confessing her love, which she's going to do multiple times throughout this three hour and 58 minute film. <laughs> it's like, girl, I mean, and, and you know, mind you, it's three hours for us, but this is years in the making. And she just, this is just that one person. That's it for her. So she gets him in the room. She's confessing her love for him and he's he tells her like i'm gonna marry melanie but you know i love you but you're not woman enough and you just you're not ready to be married 
And of course, this hurts Scarlett because she's thinking that she is the perfect person for Ashley. And yet Ashley has his heart with someone else. And he even at one moment kisses her. And you cannot tell a woman that you hate her and then caress her cheek because all she's going to think about is that you caressed her cheek and that you do love her. You just haven't realized it yet. So he he's giving really mixed emotions because you do kind of feel like he does love her. He's just holding back. But I guess he is what you ca- would call in today's terms a f-boy like playing games like I'm gonna lead you on but I never have any intention of being with you so Ashley's basically like I can't I'm not gonna be with you I'm gonna marry Melanie that's who I love and that's it and he leaves the room and then we discover you know because he was going after Rhett to go find him that Rhett was actually in that room the whole time because Scarlet gets mad. She throws something across the room. It breaks. And Rhett gets up from the couch because he was laying across it. And um, the back of the couch is to, was to the couple. So you couldn't see who was on it. And he's like, he, he says a lot. He says, is the war started? And so then this is their first interaction together. And this is the, this is the start of their dynamic, uh, their tumultuous dynamic, love-hate relationship. Love from Rhett, hate from Vivian, and some hate from Rhett, and maybe some love from Scarlett. I said Vivian, I meant Scarlett. Um, <laughs> y'all know what I mean. So yeah, so this is the beginning of relationship because one, he now knows how she feels about Ashley and mind you no one else really has a glimpse into how much she cares about Ashley at this point she's kind of kept it hidden and and her and Ashley the only one knows who knows about their relationship and of course Rhett heard the kissing and he knows exactly how she feels about him but then he kind of insinuates that well let me know once you get over him so we can be together because he's letting her know I'm interested. And of course she has her eyes set on Ashley. So she's like, whatever. And she does it. She takes what he says with a grain of salt. She really doesn't care. After that, Scarlett ends up running out of the room because she's upset and all the ladies have woken up. They've gotten dressed and they're coming downstairs and she ends up hearing um Melanie and India and two other girls that are talking about her so she quickly ducks off behind on the side or the back of the staircase as they're walking down the staircase and she hears that basically India is talking ill and she feels like Scarlet acts like the loose lady of the night and she just throws herself all over the guys like she's throwing herself over off on everyone and you know everyone has in mind particular suitors that they want and I feel like it's kind of like a unwritten rule amongst the ladies like you know what guy I'm going for you would don't go for them but at the same time Melanie is defending Scarlett and she just thinks that you know she's she's just you know she's just a strong-willed person that's just the way she is and 
that you know she like she's she's a fine girl like we shouldn't you know judge her for the way that she acts like she she's she's good that's just who she is but of course the other ladies are definitely not fond of her at all and it, the irony of it is melanie is defending defending a woman that absolutely hates her because she has the heart of the man of her dreams and then we get to the point where war has actually begun. So this is actually all happening like within the, within the same day, right? I'm like, that's a lot already. So this is all happening within the same day. So the war begins. They're all, the guys are happy. They're running out the house. They're jumping in there, you know, a horse and wagon and... <laughs> Uh, jumping in their cars and stuff and they're ready like they're ready to enlist they're pumped this the time has finally come and you know they're just ready to get into this war and win because that's what their anticipation is and so at this point Charles Hamilton who is Melanie's sister confesses his love to Scarlett and basically he says will you marry me? Because I've always loved you. I always will love you. You know, marry me. So in Scarlett's mind, she doesn't go, oh, well, you know what? Maybe this is the best guy for me. Let me be with him. Her thought process instead is, well, maybe this will make Ashley jealous if I marry another man, which happens to be Melanie, Melanie's brother, and Melanie, of course, of course, Ashley's gonna, Ashley is going to marry Melanie, and Charles is Melanie's brother. So if I'm, this is her way to be close to him, right? To be close to him. So because she can't marry him, so how else is she's gonna is she gonna be underneath him? So then she ends up agreeing to marry him only because she wants to make Ashley jealous. So then the as the war is going on, you know, they're sending back letters. Um there's like I I one I guess one interesting thing about this film is there are things that aren't like scene set up and showing what's going on. They'll have letters written or words written where you have to read it um in certain parts of the film and so we actually learned a letter that got sent to Scarlett is that Charles contracted the me measles while he had pneumonia in the war so he ends up dying from it and this obviously makes Scarlett a widow and of course she isn't sad that he died or that she lost her husband she becomes upset because she has to wear all black and has to stay inside and mourn for her quote-unquote husband. And we, this is just yet another example of how narcissistic Scarlett is. And, and, and throughout the movie, like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get there yet. But we just see how narcissistic she is. She doesn't care that, you know, he died or even feel some ounce of remorse or sympathy she just the only sympathy she can gain is for herself that she has to sit inside because I guess that was the not the law but it was just something that 
people or in that time you were supposed to when and someone dies well this is how they portray in the movie i don't know if this was really like this in the 30s but or not the 30s but in the 1800s but if your husband dies you are denied of all fun because you shouldn't be having fun with your husband dead that's just not how it works and she, of course, doesn't like this because one, she didn't want to marry him. And two, she wants to live her life and she wants to dress beautifully and she wants to go out and she wants to do as she pleases, but she can't because of this. And so then her mom actually suggests to her that she go out and, well, actually, the, her mom suggests that she goes that she she gets out the house, okay? And at first she suggests that she go stay in Savannah. And then she comes up with the idea that she should go stay in Atlanta with Melanie. Now, mind you, Scarlett doesn't like Melanie. But she thinks it's a good idea because she will be close to who? Ashley. And at one point, Mammy and, and and throughout this Mammy plays a very prominent role so even though she is the house like the house slave or the maid she is in a bunch of scenes and she has a bunch of lines as well um which I think is another like different thing for this time period because normally um slave or maid characters are like D characters or like extras just to dress the characters or to just add to the environment but they don't have any real substance but Mammy somewhat had the ability to embody the character she was given and to create a pretty dynamic role for herself especially during that period so yes Scarlett decides to go to Atlanta to help out Melanie because at this point they both had their husbands in war. Of course, her husband has died, but Ashley is still fighting in the war. And at this point, her and Melanie are sister-in-laws. So they're sisters. So it wouldn't seem like a terrible thing for her to go stay with Melanie, even though we know her real intentions are. Because this is just yet another way for her to become close or to be close to Ashley when he, whenever he gets back in town. So when Scarlett goes to Atlanta, she's actually helping out Melanie with the Monsters Bazaar, which is a party to help benefit the military. And this is unusual for a lady in mourning to be out at like a party like this where this at a party like this, we're supposed to be festive, you dance, you have fun, you know, you're mingling with people, and this is yet something that doesn't look good for a widower. But they make an exception because they know she's not there to do all of that extra stuff. She's just there to help her family, technically. And so we end up getting introduced to Red again. He does make an appearance. And this actually startles Scarlett because she her their dynamic is he now knows one secret that no one else knows about her. And that is what their relationship is, is kind of 
keeping the peace with that because if someone knows a secret about you, you don't want them blabbing and, you know, telling everybody. But at the same time, Rhett is not the type of person to hold that against her. It's almost like they mutually know what's going on, but he 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 makes it clear that that's not his intention to tell what he's heard to Melanie or anyone else. He kind of plays with her and they have banter together, but that's what it is. It's simply playful. It's not malicious or with ill intentions or anything that could sabotage her relationship with Melanie or Ashley or anything like that. So then at this uh, party, a bid begins where, of course, they're helping raise money for the military. So they have a bid where men can pay to dance with a certain woman that's there. And Rhett actually bids on Scarlett. And and this is Dr. Uh, Mead who was running it. And, you know, Dr. Mead, he's a prominent character that we hear throughout the story. But once again, it's brought up that, you know, a widower is not supposed to be dancing. They're, they're supposed to be just mourning. That's it. They're not supposed to have any fun. But because of Rhett and who he is, you know, they allow him to still bid on her. And he does it because he knows that she actually does want to dance and have fun. And he's pretty... He's actually the one person that really knows who she is. And that's also something else with their uh, dynamic. Everyone else is pretty oblivious or even if they are aware, they kind of just, they don't bring attention to it or they don't call her out on it. They just kind of know how she is and go with the flow. But Rhett is the one people, one person I do feel like knows her better than anyone else. And she can be more honest with him, even though sometimes her honesty is just through irritation or anger. But I do feel that she does get to be her. Because she is a pretty horrible person, but she gets to be that the worst person with him. And he he doesn't really judge her for it. I guess that actually attracts him more to her because of that aspect. And I think that's what he maybe fell in love with other than her looks. But yeah, so he knows she wants to dance. He bids on it. They dance together. And of of course, he, he makes it clear once again um, that he wants her to feel the same way about him as she does about Ashley. But of course, Scarlett denies him, rejects him, does not want him at all. And just like he makes it clear that she he wants her, she makes it clear she doesn't want him. <laughs> but yet, he persists the same way she does with Ashley. So then they they do start building more of a relationship and he starts coming over more or coming to her place where she's staying with Melanie and he buys her gifts and we're we're seeing uh more like they're I guess they're kind of like it's like they're friends or frenemies but they're friends but they're not friends because Rhett is in it to eventually be with her and Scarlett's in it because he has money, he can get her things, he has status. So she's the type of person that whatever she can do to win in life, she's going to go with that. But at the same time, with Rhett, she can 
be herself and he's still not going to cut her off because of that so then we we do see a little bit of chemistry between them but I think most of the chemistry comes from the fact that if she plays a little bit to him like giving him some sort of hope then if she keeps him around she can keep getting what she wants from him but not that she actually wants him if that makes sense and of course, you know, it's like he's a sucker for her. So it doesn't really matter how she treats him. He's still going to pop up and he's still going to stay in her life because he does genuinely care for her. And he, he does he does prove that he wants to be with her. So then after some time, um, there comes a point that, you know, the war has gone on long enough that they are bringing news to everybody about anyone that has not made it in the war so far and it's like everyone is gathering around everyone is gathering in Atlanta you know to because there's one place where you can get this information and of course some people get bad news they see that their loved ones didn't make it but luckily for Melanie and Scarlett they don't see Ashley's name on the list which, of course, makes Melanie, the wife, super happy. And it makes Scarlett happy, too. <laughs> so it's like these two women who really care about this one man. But one's the actual wife. And once again, Melanie, she 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 mentions to Scarlett, I'm so glad you care about Ashley the way I do. And, and, and this is one of those, uh, I guess, a debate you can have is, does she... Does she choose to not pay attention to who to who Scarlet really is or is she actually oblivious to who Scarlet is and just from Melanie's character she's very kind she's very soft she's very compassionate the complete opposite of Scarlet and I feel like she chooses to see the bad she chooses to see the good in people and Scarlett chooses to get what she wants from people. And I guess the simplest terms of that. So it's like, yeah, Scarlett cares as much as Ashley because she wishes that was her husband. And at this point, you know, we don't realize if Melanie knows how much she loves Ashley. In more ways than just, like, technically that being her brother-in-law. So then Ashley does end up coming back home and it's pretty bittersweet um, because she's happy that he's alive. But then at the same time, she's upset because he is not hers. And at this point, what we're realizing in the war is that the South is not looking too good. The confidence of the South actually prevailing in this war, it's, 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 not, it's not looking too good. So all that anticipation, all of that confidence you can tell is sort of dying down and then we're actually going into the second attempt that Scarlett makes to confess her love to Ashley and to convince him to be with her but of course he rejects her because at this point he is a married man and even though he's telling her that you know he loves his wife he wants to be with her he does kiss her and actions and words become tricky when you choose which one to believe. You can choose 
that him kissing me means he's actually in love with me or I can listen to what he says and says, even though he's kissing me, I know this will never work. But of course, Scarlett in her mind is completely in love with this man. She is going to believe his actions, which he's still embracing her. He's still kissing her. And and she and she felt and that keeps giving her a gl- a glimmer of hope that one day they could actually be together. But she just has to find some way or some word to really trigger and make him believe that, yes, she is the one for him. But he ultimately tells her that the only thing the only favor I want you to do for me is to watch over Melanie, which is the one he truly cares about. And he makes that clear. But at the same time. He's sticking his tongue down her throat. So it's it's just <laughs> it's it's not black and white. I guess it's pretty complicated, but man, why are you leading this girl on? You know she is in love with you. Like you know, that's that's a whole nother subject, but I hate when people do that. I guess whether you're a guy doing it or a girl doing it, that's just so wrong to lead someone on. But then at the same time, you don't feel bad for the person because you're like, you're adult enough to realize that, you know, you hear this person is literally telling you they don't love you. But because of what they're doing to you physically, that you think that there's still some hope. It, it's sad, y'all. Um, And then when... Ashley tells her, you know, just look over my wife for me. Scarlett is resentful of her because she's like, like, I love you. I should be with you. But you want me to look after her? And of course, she's going to do it because Scarlett is the closest thing she's going to have to being, being around Ashley. So, okay, at this point... uh, Since the war, you know, is not looking too good for the South... Because at this point, you know, what they're calling the Yankees, you know, the people up north, are actually getting some headway. And they're they're winning the war. And they're infiltrating. I don't know if that's the right word to use. But um, they're starting to get into Georgia. And the war is leading into, you know, Georgia as well. Now, mind you, this is their home that they take pride in, that they love, and that they love the way things are. And now you have these Yankees that are coming in to destroy everything and to kill their people, the people that they love, the people that they care about, and to just, you know, change things the way they know it. And so... Soldiers are beginning to return with, you know, crazy injuries. They're needing hospitalization. And it it's just it's starting to become um a challenge to be able to, you know, keep up with because there's just there's so many injured soldiers that have, you know, came back. And at this point, since, you know, the Yankees are actually like coming into the state and, you know, uh you know, they're coming in, guns are blazing, they're destroying things, they're just getting more headway than what the South anticipated, that people are now trying to leave town. Um, they're trying to go even further South um, to try to get away from all of this, to try to avoid being killed or injured or hurt um, because they know that things are just changing and 
when they get in there, you know, the Yankees get in there, they're not going to, um, they're not there to say hello and sit down and, you know, eat some lunch with them. You know, they're, they're really kicking out some doors and creating madness there, shaking things up. So Scarlett works at this hospital where all these injured soldiers are, but again, we're seeing how she, she has not changed yet. And and this is one of the crazy things about this film or about this character. The crazy thing about her character is we're so used to seeing how someone is, how they're set in their ways, their morals, their values, wherever the case may be, right? But with Scarlett, she is very consistent in who she is. She may change it up a little bit in her tactics of how she approaches people or how she approaches situations, but she is always the same person and she is consistent. And and you would think after seeing injured people, after seeing the love of her life really show his love for the woman he's with or just these different things, it still doesn't warm up her heart. She's still such a cold self-centered narcissistic person it just doesn't change and so working at this hospital is ironic because she doesn't have compassion for people she doesn't care about people she is just in the interest of scarlet and of course the working at a hospital is not the best place for scarlet to work because she just she just doesn't have investment in other people as she does into herself so she does end up running into um, some familiar people um, that she remembers from her plantation. And it's his, his name was actually Big Sam. Because, okay, at the point where she's in the hospital, like I was saying, she doesn't have an investment in people. She doesn't care. So uh, she, one person's like getting having to get their leg amputated and she just can't. At that, I guess that was her breaking point. She can't. She can't take it anymore. So she's like, "Okay, I'm out of here. I'm getting out of the hospital." And then out of the hospital, you see everybody running around, everybody leaving town, everybody just scattered, just trying to get away, trying to find some shelter, somewhere to go because of everything that's happening. And then she runs into Big Sam, who used to work on her plantation, and you know, of course, he's a familiar face. So she's like, "Oh my God, how's everything back home?" And you know, Tara, because. She's moved away from Tara and she's been away from Tara for some years. And Big Sam ends up letting her know that her mom is actually sick. So then once she hears this news, this kind of elevates her urgency in wanting to leave like everyone else. Because everyone else is leaving. She doesn't want to stay behind and get killed or hurt or, you know, be in this mess of what's happening. So she wants to go back home. And she ends up uh, meeting with... Rhett, once again, it's like Rhett just, it's these certain stages in her life that he just pops up and it's almost like, well, are you over that guy? You ready to be with me? And of course she's not. She's still not over Ashley, but she does see him. He offers to um, even leave with her because she mentions like, hey, I'm trying to get out of here. And he's like, okay, well, we could just go away together. So then she ends up going to, you know, Melanie's place. She's ready to pack up, leave, but... At this point, Melanie is pregnant. And she remembers, one, what Ashley promised her 
to do, which was help take care of Melanie. And then two, Dr. Mead tells her that she can't leave because she has to take help take care of Melanie. Like, who else is going to be my Melanie's side if you leave, which is true, because Melanie doesn't have... She had her aunt, I believe. I don't know if, if she was the aunt on um, Melanie's side or Scarlett's side, but the aunt is dipping out. She's not even staying there. And so she's like... Dr. Mead's like, you can't. So he basically guilt, guilt her into staying there, even though... Scarlett wants to leave because she wants to go back to Tara because she loves Tara. And two, her mom is sick. And, you know, she doesn't know if her mom could pass away at any point. So she wants to go see her. But Dr. Mead convinces her to stay. And, I mean, pretty much at this point, you know, Rhett's like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're not going away together. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave. But, of course, he'll be back. <laughs> All right. So then um, uh, some more time passes. And at this point, Melanie is actually going to be having her baby. And this is at the point where, like, the Yankees have actually came into town. Not exactly where they're at, but they're, like, super close. And at this point, the military's even evacuating. So they're even leaving. And so we had the hospital full of injured soldiers. Now we literally have, like, an ache like these acres set up like just land outside set up to help take care of these injured injured soldiers because there's so many at this point and what's um cool about this scene because okay well let me go back a little bit so Melanie's about to have her baby and the I guess the only doctor in town is Dr. Mead and so she tries to fetch him to come help her deliver the baby. When she goes to fetch him, he's out there in the field where they have all these injured soldiers. And this scene needed, like, so many soldiers out there. And, of course, they weren't able to fulfill all of the extra roles with the soldiers. So they end up putting dummies out there mixed in with the real people. And if you look real closely, like, if you can't notice initially, if you're just watching then you won't notice. But because I knew that, I was looking, I could see dummies there. And I mean, it, you know, it looks good for its time. It, I mean, it looks really good. Like they do this aerial shot and like, it's really, it's really good. And so Scarlett goes out there. She tries to get Mr. Me to help her deliver the baby. But he's like, you think I'm going to deliver a baby over helping these wounded soldiers? Oh man, you got the game all messed up. So he can't go and help her with the baby. But previously, before, um, when Scarlett was going to leave, she had her help Prissy, which is Butterfly McQueen, who had said that whenever the baby was to be delivered, that she would help Dr. Me because she's delivered a bunch of babies before. So at this point, when Scarlett realizes that she will have to be the one to deliver the baby, she is at least happy that she has someone like Butterfly McQueen who can help her or Prissy, the character. But then Prissy admits that she, and this is one of the famous lines from Gone with the Wind, is she goes something to the effect of, I ain't never delivered no babies before. And so this obviously makes Scarlett upset. And she realizes, okay, I'm really going to have to do this on my own. So she ends up de delivering the baby. But then she has Percy go out to find 
um, Rhett so he can help her get out of town because at this point, she's not staying there anymore. She absolutely refuses to stay in town because she's not going to be here while everything is going to be destroyed, okay? And she's not going to get killed. And she wants to go back, at, go back to Tara to, you know, see her mom. So they end up getting red. He ends up, you know, stealing like this horse and carriage, which I don't know if he actually stole it or borrowed it. Um, but he does end up helping Tara, uh, I say Tara, ends up helping Scarlett so she can get back home. But Scarlett decides to take Melanie and her baby and Prissy with her. And so they do embark on this journey to get back to Tara and as they're passing through Atlanta they're seeing that everything has been destroyed and burned down and life is just not it's it doesn't look all pretty and glamorous as it was in the beginning everything looks pretty bad and so luckily they end up making it out of town safe they're getting close to Tara but at one point Red decides that he's gonna stop like he's like y'all are almost there to Tara but I'm not gonna go all the way with you and he says he wants to join the army and he basically wants to help where he can to me this was like a real random thought I don't know why he felt like at this point he wanted to join it but maybe after seeing all of the destruction and the dismay he felt like he could be of some use to people or to the army and where they were at. Of course, it's so far gone at this point. I'm not sure what he felt he could do, but obviously he felt he could do something. So of course that this upset Scarlett because, you know, it's just her and women, you know, the help and then her friend Melanie, who's pretty much sick after giving birth to her baby. So she gets upset that he leaves her, but he, you know, he leaves and and on the last leg of the journey, Scarlet, they actually make it. Um, so the last leg of the journey is pretty rough, but they she does make it. She pulls through. And and they actually stop at 12 acres before they get to Tara. Because they're like, okay, well, 12 acres is before Tara. We can just stop there. But when they go there, there's nothing left. Like the house is completely destroyed. Destroyed to the po point that you only see some inside of the house and like half of it's completely ripped off, gone. So then they have no choice but to actually travel to Tara. And I think one of the greatest parts of this movie is the silhouette scenes that they have. And the silhouette scenes is basically like she, cause she sees what happens to 12 acres. And so when she gets to Tara, she's like, Oh my God, I hope it doesn't look like what that was. But it's like, it's real dark. You only see the silhouette of them. And then all of a sudden this moonlight streams over um, the house and it's still put together. So then they, so then, so it ends up lighting up the property. And so they go into the house. She finds Mammy there. Her sisters are there. Her dad is there. Of course, he looks older. He looks distressed. He doesn't even talk the same like he used to. But sadly, she does find out that her mom has died. And her mom died because she went to go help birth the overseer's wife's baby 
and the the lady was sick and so that made her sick and then that led to her demise um and everything has pretty much been taken all the food's been taken all of you know the animals in the farm have been taken because pretty much the Yankees came in they stole they ravaged and you know they destroyed and so at this point a little part of Scarlet changes and this is when she realizes that she just has to take control and she has to do what she needs to do in order to still fend for herself, to still carry on. And so this is when we get to the point where the South is having to rebuild, okay? And what I thought was crazy is that at the beginning of the film, of course, we have the slaves who are tending to their masters. And then at this point, after all the destruction and, you know, after having nothing, the the masters have to become the slaves to a certain extent. So now they're having to pick cotton. They're having to chip in because they know they have some help, but it's not to the extent where they can just, they don't have the luxury of sitting around while they do everything. And so um, they have to basically reconstruct life as they know it because it's been absolutely destroyed and dismantled so they have to start from the beginning and at one point like you see her sisters they're like really upset that they're having to be out in the field picking cotton because of course it had thorns on it and stuff and you know you can imagine what the slaves hands look like after so many years of doing it and so they're doing it for this short amount of time and they see it's the worst thing ever. Okay, but and you would think they would be somewhat sympathetic to the slaves for the fact that they're doing the work that they've always done. But I digress. And as they're rebuilding their life, the father actually ends up speaking to Scarlett about how he's been treat how she's been treating Prissy and Mammy. And he actually feels like she is she's not treating them well. She's not treating them with some sort of respect. She's just kind of, I guess, bossing them around and maybe slapping them around, doing whatever she wants. Because at this point, she is like the matriarch of this family. Um, she's the one who's taken charge and is helping to establish who they once were. And she actually says that, the father actually tells her this right after she slaps on her sister, sisters, because one of the sisters, as she's picking cotton, you know, she's like, I'm tired of this, I don't want to do this. And Scarlett makes it a point to say, well, we're doing this to, you know, help Tara. And sister's like, well, I hate Tara. And so she slaps her because of that. Because that's how much she cares about their their land, their plantation. Like, other than caring about herself, Scarlett cares deeply about Tara. And then at one point, you know, as they're going on with normal lives, just trying to rebuild things, uh, Yankee actually comes to their home. Now, mind you, no one else doesn't see him, but he rolls up, he comes in the house, he tries to take, you know, whatever he wants, and Scarlett ends up shooting him, and she ends up shooting him with the gun that Rhett gave her when he had parted ways with her. And when she shoots him, 
I felt like that showed a little, like, I don't know, it's one or two things. It's either one, she cared about herself, so she shot him to make sure he didn't take nothing from her. Or maybe she actually genuinely wanted to protect her and her family and her help and everyone else from, you know, dealing with any of this nonsense of anyone just coming in trying to take control or just take from them that they've, things that they've actually worked for at this point. And Melanie who is at this point getting better after, you know, the birth of her baby. She's still having to rest and, you know, build up her strength. She sees what happens and she actually helps cover for Scarlett. And that once again shows how she is, I don't want to say like she cares so much about Scarlett, but it's just how she does, like she's just willing to do things for her and she's willing to show compassion to her unlike what Scarlett is willing to show to other people. But she helps cover for her, and she doesn't judge her for what she's done. And once again, she's just a supporter. You know, she I guess that's the best way to say it. She's just, even in this dark moment, she still supports Scarlett. Okay, so then we, we're at the point where war is over. The South did not make it, of course. And the the men that did make it through the war have came back and some of them have actually came back to Tara the plantation because I'm pretty sure this is one of the plantations that's actually made it through everything I'm not sure how many other ones have made it um, but I guess the soldiers know or somehow heard that they can go to to the um, Tara so they're taking baths, they're getting their clothes washed, they're getting fed. And even after these men have been through war, have probably seen some very tragic things. Scarlet's still like, wow, so we're just going to let everybody in here eat all the food that we done grew and worked to get. And so she's still selfish. She still does not care. So even after, you know, having to get the strength to rebuild, having to start over and you know you think you would learn something from this you would think you would get some gratitude you will humble yourself and yet there goes scarlet just being scarlet okay and then we end up seeing one of the soldiers that returns is frank and he was actually in that hospital that she worked in um before you know the city got infiltrated and so he ends up he ends up telling her that basically he's been wanting to marry her sister Sue Ellen but he really hasn't like made that step yet because he knows he has to make money to be able to take care of her and he does end up getting Scarlett's blessing pretty much once he does vow that he once he gets himself together he makes some money he will ask for her hand in marriage and that's a, a I, I mentioned that because it's going to be important to the plot later. But as you know, we're seeing all these men coming back as you know, they're helping taking care of them, uh, you know, giving them just some sort of shelter at this transitioning time. Ashley ends up coming back and we had found out that he was actually captured but somehow he got away or they let him go. Maybe after they won the war, they were like, okay, we'll let y'all go. Y'all know what it is at this point. And so Ashley comes back. And of course, Scarlett, she's still in love with him. And and I thought was a pretty powerful moment is Melanie recognizes 
Ashley running onto the plantation. At first, he's so far away, you can't tell who he is, but that's her man. So she know her man from far away. So she ends up like running at, up to him as he's running onto the plantation. And then once Scarlet catches wind that that's Ashley that's running onto the plantation, she be, starts to run to you know run to him too. But then Mamie stops her and she says, "That's Melanie's husband." Like that's like I know you're happy for him. I know you care about him, but don't forget what your place in what your place in his life is, and that's not his wife. It's not the priority. So after you know everything's been going, you know, somewhat good. Everything's getting rebuilt. Scarlett actually learns from one of her hands that there the the north has actually taxed raised the tax on the properties and that she actually has to pay $300 now I don't know what that was in compared to what they had to pay before but it's an amount that is astronomical to what they can actually afford and so Scarlett who has now grown into this determined and strong-willed and independent woman is now having to okay she was trying to rebuild the plantation to grow food to you know do what she has to do and now she's met with another challenge where okay how do I keep this place and so so as she's trying to you know figure out how she's going to get the money for you know to keep the plantation she tries one more time to get at Ashley. And of course, and this time, he he's more rejecting of her. And I, and it's not like kind of being soft on her about it or kind of being light or trying to tiptoe around. Her. I mean, he's pretty straightforward that the only woman I love is Melanie. And that's the best woman for me. And of course, you know, Scarlett's trying to point out like, I'm the best woman for you. I should be the one that's with you. But, of course, that's that's not what Ashley wants. And so, she, you know, she tells him after attempting to try to win him back, she tells him this will be the last time that she does that. And at this point, like, she's given up on it. And, and he does actually tell her that if you're going to continue to do this, like, I can't stay here with my kid and my wife because I can't be around someone who's going to keep convince me every other day to be with them when I don't want to be with them and you know Scarlett feels like feels like it's worth more to have her in his life even if they're not together than to not have them at all so that's ultimately why she says you know you don't have to leave I'll never do this again because she would rather have them around than not at all then the overseer that used to work for them and this was the overseer we saw in the beginning like one time and the mom made it very clear that she did not want him to work for her anymore because they just didn't like how he he moved ultimately just who he was they just didn't respect him and he comes back he's it looks like he's doing well for himself and he actually tries to buy the plantation from scarlet because he he even heard about the taxes being raised and he can afford it but of course she rejects him she knows her family didn't respect him and so she has no respect for him and also 
not more than she don't have respect from him. She knows his now wife was the reason for her mom dying. And so he ends up, yeah, she pretty much tells him off. He leaves. The dad sees him. And if, I believe the dad knows what happened too with the mom as far as her getting sick because of his wife. So he's resentful towards him too. Because in the beginning, the wife did tell him, like, we cannot have him around no more. He does not need to be around us no more. And the dad didn't really take it very seriously. And so I think he, he harbors those feelings and of regret. And so when he sees the overseer leaving or the ex-overseer, he gets on the horse. He actually chases after him. When he chases after him, he actually falls off the horse and that kills him. So not only has she lost her mother, she's also lost her dad. And so she knows she really has to kick things into gear because after mourning her dad's death, the reality is she still has to find money to pay for the tax. So she ends up having Mammy make her dress out of these huge drapes that were in their living room. <laughs> it actually came out pretty nice. And she goes to find Red, tries to smooth talk him, tries to get him to, you know, and get in her good graces with him because they left on bad terms last time. And so at first he's buying it because he's like, oh, okay, maybe she's finally come around. But then he realizes when he looks at her hand that they're rough and that she's actually been you know been working on the plantation and he's like the only reason you're gonna be working on the plantation is because you need to be working on the plantation so what do you need from me now and you know she tells him you know i pretty much need money for the taxes and he refuses to give her the money because he's just like no i'm not gonna do that for you so of course they leave on bad terms again and as she's in town, I thought this part was interesting. She ends up passing by a white man that's surrounded by black people. And he's letting them know that they're going to get a 40 acres and a mule along with the right to vote. And he emphasizes, we're your friends and you'll vote just like your friends. So I guess to make their people like we used to be bad we had you as slaves but we're good now and we're giving you opportunity so we're just like we're all on the same page now which we know how that is and I thought that was in, in interesting and I felt like it was kind of setting um historically where they were at in this film so this had to be after the emancipation proclamation when the slaves were free and I guess that's that was the gig to, you know, give people stuff as their reparations back then. But we saw how that went. Anyway, so Scarlett, as she's trying to, you know, get back to the plantation, she ends up running into Frank. Mind you, Frank, we talked about earlier, he wants to take her sister's hand in marriage, but, you know, vowed to take care of some business before he did it. She sees Frank. He actually has a store. He's doing very well for himself. And then when she sees how well she's doing, he's doing for himself, the light bulb goes off and she realizes, oh, here's some way that I can, you know, I couldn't get money from Red. You know, I don't want no one to buy the plantation. Oh, well, Frank wants my sister, but yeah, let's, you know, she, of course she has to, discover some way to benefit her which it benefits everyone ultimately but at the same time once again it's for her own reasoning so she ends up telling frank 
that she ends up telling Frank that her sister, because he, of course, he asked about her because he's, he always, when he comes around Scarlett, asks about her sister. And he ends up tell she ends up telling him that the sister is marrying some other like random man. And Frank is a little hurt by it, but it's basically insinuating that she is like next up, you know, she should be with him. And so she does this, she decides to marry Frank. So that she can get the money for the plantation. Because if she marries him, then she can get money from him. I don't know why she couldn't just ask. And then maybe her sisters still marry him. But I guess she felt they need to be married. But I guess she also felt that not only could she get money to help save the plantation. But she can get ongoing funds if she's marrying him, working with him, so on and so forth. And so, of course, this upsets her sister greatly. Because she was expecting to be married to Frank. And she actually cared about him. And once again, Scarlett marries for her benefit, to help her in some type of way. So then we realize that Ashley is actually wanting to leave to New York because he wants to do a banking job. And of course, Scarlett wants to keep him there in her presence. And she actually thinks that'd be a good job that he works in the lumber business that she wants to create with Frank. And so... He's like, I don't know anything about lumber. She's like, we well, don't know anything about banking either. So maybe we should just stay here. Of course, you know, she wants Ashley to be up under her nose and she'd rather him be there, not with her, than to be in a completely different state and she doesn't get to see him again. So she ends up, you know, doing her, one of her little, playing her little role where she's so upset. But this time Melanie actually sees her upset and, you know, she ends up lying to Melanie that, you know, um... Ashley's just being mean to me and he doesn't want to stay here and work, you know, at the lumber place. And, of course, Melanie is on her side. She supports Scarlett 100%. She even tells her husband, oh, my God, like, why would you do that? Like, come on, you can stay here and work. And, of course, Melanie says it. So then that makes him be like, okay, well, I guess I'll stay. But he he knows who she is. And he knows what she really wants. But because his wife agrees with her, he decides to go along with it. So once Scarlett is married with Frank, she ends up buying a mill. And this is when she really, she, now, not only does she become the independent woman, but she becomes the businesswoman, okay? And she's running business, uh, her name alongside with Frank's, okay? They're going into business together. You know, she, she's running things pretty much. And everyone else in town is noticing it as well. Um, because she's riding her own buggy. She's basically working with the enemy. And the fact that, you know, she's pretty much the face of the business. And she's very active in it. It's not like her name's just on it and she doesn't have any say-so. Like, she is the business pretty much. And she's becoming a very successful woman. So now they're really not having to pick cotton or scrounge for money or, you know, do any of what she's doing before. Now she's actually being able to um have the luxury that she once had in her life before and of course Rhett comes back in again like he always does and when he shows up at this point in her life she's this businesswoman she's married yet again and you know he's still trying to convince her that he's still he's still there waiting for her to change her mind one day 
And of course, she's still letting him know she's not going to change her mind. And she's actually going to be going to her mill, going to the mill on her own, and she's going to leave town. And Rhett warns her, like, you know, there's a certain part that you shouldn't even be going through. So maybe you should just you know, hold off on that, maybe have someone else go with you. But of course, since she's stubborn, she ignores him and she goes on her way. And on her way there, she does end up getting attacked in one of the shady parts of town in that area. And she luckily gets saved by Big Sam, which we heard about Big Sam earlier, who worked on the plantation back in the day. So he saves her and, you know, she ends up surviving it. And once again, you know, she wants everybody to pay attention to her. She wants everyone to feel bad for her. But, you know, ultimately, we know she put herself in that spot. But what we end up learning is that with that attack, this caused Frank, Ashley, and, you know, some other people. Oh, and Dr. Mead was involved, too to uh, devise a plan to actually go and attack or hurt the people that hurt Scarlet. Now, originally, Scarlet doesn't know about this plan until Rhett comes by and he is working undercover and he heard about what, you know, Ashley and them were doing And so he's letting them know that pretty much the Yankees know because, you know, they are now working in the town like they're policing it. And so he wants to have like a head start to know exactly what they're doing or where they're at so that he can warn them. And Scarlett didn't know that they were actually going to get revenge because of what happened to her. But what she ends up finding out, it's also with her finding that you know, the other women or, or actually I think it was India who was like resentful of Scarlet because she's like, these men could possibly get hurt because your stubborn self went out in town by yourself knowing dang well, you were not supposed to do that. So now you've caused all this chaos and we could, you know, someone could possibly get hurt while all of this is going on where they're trying to avenge your attack. So then just like Red had said that he knew that, you know, the the Yankees were going to like come and get Ashley because they heard of what happened or they heard about what they were doing. They do end up coming by the house. They do end up coming by and and they're pretty much like, you know, we're looking for Ashley. Do you know where he's at? And of course, they're all kind of playing like they don't know where he's or or they're saying where he's at, but the 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 Yankees are like we know he's not there because we already went over there. So like pretty much tell us the truth because we need to we need to we need to like have a word with him. So of course his wife Melanie is playing coy and they're you know making it seem like they're making it seem like that Ashley is somewhere else. And, you know, absolutely has nothing to do with, you know, what they're trying to look for him for. And, of course, you know, the Yankees are like, we went to that place. We did not see him out there. So, guess what? We're actually going to wait until he comes home because we know he's going to come home eventually. And perfect timing after, the you know, the Yankees are waiting outside and Andy and Melanie and them, they're all having this... Well, actually, they stopped talking. They stopped having a conversation about what's going on because, 
they do not want, you know, the Yankees to hear that they know. They don't want the Yankees to hear about what they may know about the situation. So then Ashley does come home and he looks really drunk. And Dr. Mead is with them and he looks pretty drunk and actually Rhett is with them. So it's Dr. Mead, Ashley, and Rhett. They're all together. And Dr. Mead and Rhett, they look pretty drunk, pretty wasted. And so, you know, the Yankees at this point are wanting to take him in. They want to arrest him because they heard about, you know, what happened in that town. And that basically were like, you cannot put the law into your own hands. You're going to come with us. But then Dr. Mead and Rhett are trying to convince them that he wasn't doing what you think he was doing. He was actually getting drunk and he was actually hanging out with a lady in the town that doesn't have the best reputation. Um, her name is Belle, Mrs. Bell, something like that. And they're like, well, we were at her house, which, of course, none of the ladies want to hear that their men have been hanging with her. But in order to save their tail, in order to save Ashley from, you know, being locked up, they know that would be the best interest to just, you know, make up something. So then they end up convincing the Yankees that he had nothing to do with what what happened on what happened in that town. And so they end up, you know, letting him be. But then as soon as they leave we learned that Dr. Mead was playing this role the whole time. He was not drunk. And Ashley actually had been shot in his chest. So they, you know, did do what they did. But of course, you know, he got wounded in the battle. And what they learn about Rhett, because of course he's not had this great reputation all the way throughout the movie, but they see somewhat of his loyalty as he did what he could to save Ashley from being arrested. So everyone has a little bit more respect for him. But of course, Scarlett is who she is. And none of that, you know, makes a difference to her and how she feels about him. She still don't want to be with him. So, so then what's really bad about the situation is, yes, Ashley was wounded. But we learned that Frank actually got shot in the head. So now Frank is dead. And this is her second husband that has died. So, of course, fast forward, you know, Scarlett, I don't know if she's actually mourning his death, but she ends up, like, drinking heavily. And I don't know if it's because maybe she did kind of care about him. Because it does, she wasn't really, like, she didn't show PDA with him. When he used to call her Sugar when he was alive, she used to be like, stop calling me that. So, she didn't like any pet names. So I don't think she had a real connection with him, but maybe it's just the fact that, wow, this is my second husband I've had and now he's dead. Like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Am I cursed? And so, so she somewhat is mourning his death. And of course, Rick comes by again. But at this point, he's tired of playing games. He says, I can't live without you. I realize you're the woman I love. You're the woman I want to marry. And that's it. Well, initially, he's, you know, trying to persuade her. And, of course, she's rejecting him, rejecting him, rejecting him. And then, finally, he says, you know what? I'm tired of playing games. We're going to be together. And that's it. And you need a man like me. You need a man that's going to kiss me like I'm going to kiss you because you've never been kissed like this before. And and at first, she fights it. But then she then she just gives in. But then he actually questions why she all of a sudden giving in and not fighting him. So it's funny because they have these moments where she's, you know, putting up a wall. She won't give in. And then she finally puts it down and then he questions why she does it. Because I guess he feels like 
you know, she's not fighting me, then what's her real motive? And then he does even tell her at one point, like, so do you want to marry me because of my money or what? And she's like, yeah, pretty much. But she's like, would you rather me be honest with you or would you rather me lie and tell you that I'm madly in love with you, which you know that ain't going to be the truth. And so he figures, okay, well, well, I guess, you know, if she wants to be with me or somewhat try, that's better than me not being with her. Um, So she does agree to marry him. And at this point, Scarlett becomes rich because not only has she had this business she's been running, but now she's married to Rhett, who is a rich A man. And she's actually able to get anything she wants. She has nice clothes. She's, well, more than nice clothes. I mean, luxurious clothes. Like, I think better than what she wore when her family was, you know, when her family was well off. She's eating, you know, expensive food. She's eating whatever she wants. Because, you know, at one point they didn't even have no food. And then they had decided that they were going to move to New Orleans and live there. And at first they're enjoying themselves. They're enjoying their riches. But then Scarlett one day reminisces on Tara and wants to go back. And, of course, because Rhett knows that that's the place she loves and that he wants to do anything to make her happy. He decides to let them go back to Tara. So when they go back to Tara, she talks about rebuilding her house. But then Rhett says, we can build a house. And you know what? We can build it exactly the way you want to on this land. And they end up doing that. They end up building a really nice house. But then they end up taking Mammy and Prissy with them. Because Mammy and Prissy and, you know, the people that's worked with them throughout throughout all these years lived in that house on Terrace still. So even when she left and was with Frank and all of that, um, they were still where they were. And so she ends up taking the help away. And this makes her sisters even more mad at her because they already resent her because she's gotten married twice now she's living the life of luxury. She's, you know, stole one of the sister's men who's now dead. And now she gets to take the help from them, you know, when they go to build their own house on the land. And so then after they've built this house, you know, the next step in this family life, of course, would be baby, right? So Scarlett ends up having a baby girl. And... When she has this baby girl, we also realize that Scarlett still hasn't changed much. At this point, she's been, been very consistent in the film. She's very consistent. And one of the things that stay consistent is her love for Ashley. So Ashley is still working at that store that she's still running. And th there was a part where Rhett was like, you know, you don't even have to work at the mill anymore. But... Scarlett has chosen to still do that, and we know why. Because Ashley still works there. And if she could find anything to stay close to Ashley, she's going to do it. But Rhett is also aware that even though they're married, they have kids, life is going great. He's giving her everything she wants. She still is not over Ashley. And at one point when Scarlett goes down to the store, her and... Ashley, they're kind of talking sweet to each other. Nothing like too flirty, but maybe flirty for that day. And at one point, uh, Ashley hugs Scarlett very tightly. 
and they get caught hugging by India and Mrs. Mead. And of course, back then, they're both married. They're not supposed to be hugging each other. That was considered pretty much like cheating. And so, of course, she knows this is going to spread around town. And at this point, Ashley's surprise birthday party is coming up. And so after she gets caught hugging, um, you know, a couple hours into the day or whatever, Rhett goes to wake Scarlett up to go to Ashley's surprise birthday party. And Scarlett's like, yeah, I'm not going to go because I'm pretty sure all of this news has traveled to Melanie. I don't want to show my face in front of these people. These people do not respect me now because now her secret's pretty much out. They know how she feels about Ashley. And... Rhett tells her, basically, you're going to give Melanie the satisfaction of throwing you at the party. (laughs) Like, you're going to go up there. You're going to let Melanie vent, do whatever she wants to do to you, and that's it. You're not going to sit here as a coward and not give her that right. So she ends up going to the party, and, of course, Rhett goes with her. But as soon as they get to the party, Rhett's like, yeah, I'm not staying because I'm not going to get embarrassed by you when they throw you out. (laughs) And so, of course, she ends up still going to the party. We see everyone stops when she goes in, and Melanie looks at her. Melanie has this look, oh, my God, you think, oh, my God, she's about to tell her off. But it turns out Melanie's like, thank you for coming. I'm so glad you can come. And then forces everyone to like say hi to her after everyone knows what happened and just act like everything is normal. And then at this point, um, after all that happened, Rhett knows he basically cannot win over Scarlett the way he thought he could with all of these riches and food and clothes And so he actually decides that he wants to take a faraway trip. Now, mind you, they have a little girl at this point. And he's basically like, I want to go far away. Like, I know this is not really working. I know we're not going to get like a divorce per se, but I just want to get away. And I want to go away with a girl and there's nothing you can do to stop me. And so it's like, you don't really see much of a bond between Scarlett and uh, their daughter. Let me see. Bonnie, Bonnie. So you don't really see a bond between um, Bonnie and Scarlett. And I think it's because Scarlett is still so wrapped in trying to chase after Ashley and is still thinking about herself that even after having a little girl, that still didn't like change her heart. So they go away for a while, but that doesn't last very long because Bonnie wants, she gets homesick and wants to go back home. And so Rhett comes back. When he comes back, Scarlett actually lets him know that she's pregnant again. Now, mind you, after she had the baby, she was feeling some type of way about the weight that she gained or that her waist was bigger. And she told Rhett she did not want to have any more kids. So then she ends up having or is pregnant with another child. And when she gets pregnant with another child, of course, she's like even more angry at Rhett because one, he left her. And then two now she's pregnant again and uh, it's they're doing like that banter like when we first met them so she's like letting them know I you know I wish I could have it like I wish I could have a kid with anyone else like I'd rather have a kid with anyone else but you and how much I despise you and Rhett is like playing with her and, and he tells her something along the lines of 
well, you never know what might happen. You may hurt yourself. I guess to basically say, maybe you're going to do something that's going to get rid of the baby anyway, so don't be so mad about it. And when he tells her that, she gets so frustrated, she, like, swings at him to hit him. Now, mind you, they're sitting at the top, they're standing at the top of the stairs when they're talking. And so when she swings at him, she ends up swinging so hard, she, like, throws herself down the stairs. And then Rhett feels really, really bad about it. Because he's like, oh my gosh, she's pregnant with my baby. Because I said that, that made her angry. That, and then she fell down the stairs. And so he feels like it's his fault. And then and then there's like this moment between Melanie and Rhett. And she's basically trying to like comfort him and let him know that, you know, things happen. That wasn't your fault. You know, you are a good guy to her. Like everything's going to be okay. And so then... Scarlett, she does end up getting better. She doesn't lose the baby or anything, so everything's still fine. And then, and then as she's getting better, at one point she's like sitting outside, and Rhett is trying to recounsel with her, and he wants to make it work. He's like, okay, well, how about we just go away? You know, let's pretty much like start over. And while he's trying to do that, their little girl Bonnie, she learned how to ride the horse um from the side where like she doesn't put she doesn't straddle the horse she has her legs on the side of the horse and you know her father has taught her how to jump hurdles so she tells him hey you know look at me look at me I learned how to you know jump on a higher hurdle and at first they're kind of like brushing it off like oh no don't do that you know don't don't do it but the little girl's not listening to them and she and then this reminds Scarlet of her dad she's like oh just like pa and then she realized wait when pa did something like this on a horse he died and so it's a little too late she jumps over tries to jump over the hurdle it ends up breaking she falls and this kills her and I'm trying to figure out just from falling from off a horse but I guess maybe you hit your head that hard that's what's going to kill you um but anywho so it does end up killing the girl and I didn't expect this well one the two things I didn't really expect from this movie is when Scarlet fell down the stairs and then the death of their freaking little girl. That kind of threw me for a loop and really threw me off. So after the daughter dies, you know, they, I guess they had viewings in the rooms. So instead of like having someone in a casket and go to a church, like they would just put, lay them on the bed and people would go into the room and like view them. Um, and it looked kind of eerie because they showed the little girl in the bed a little bit and I was like, uh, okay. But after her death, ironically, Melanie ends up getting really ill and is on her deathbed. So uh, she ends up, as her last words to Scarlett, is that she wants her to look after, you know, her kids make sure they're good and then also to look after Ashley and of course in this moment Scarlett it's almost like a permission for Scarlett like ooh, you know Melanie this this is like what she's wanted this whole time is to have Ashley to herself and so Ashley Melanie dies and instantly Scarlett is comforting Ashley and is so upset about Melanie but we know really she wants Ashley to herself anyways. And so even with all this hurt and stuff, I guess she thought 
Ashley may be all over her, maybe have a change of heart because his wife is gone. But he realized even through her death that he is still loves her. He still admires her. He still desires her. He still wants her. And then all of a sudden that like makes something click in her head. Um, cause she, she starts to think about Belle, the character, she, she had like a small part and I believe Belle was, I think originally someone that Rhett wanted, or maybe it was vice versa. It was like Belle wanted Rhett, Rhett wanted Scarlet, Scarlet wanted. So it's like this big chain of people going after people who don't want them. But anyways, she compared her relationship with Belle and Rhett to her and Ashley. And she realized that all along that... Maybe she doesn't care about Ashley that much. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she desires more the idea of him rather than him himself. Because she's just built up in her head that this was going to be the guy for her. But then at the end, she still never had him. And maybe that was a good thing. So then she realizes that Rhett is important to her and she does love him. But obviously, it's a little bit too late. Because after Rhett saw how Scarlett comforted Ashley, he knew that was like the straw that broke the candles back. He was like, there's nothing I can do, nothing I can do to convince this woman to be with me. So then what he ends up doing is going home. And when she has a realization, she didn't even realize he was gone, but then she goes after him and he pretty much just lets her know, like, we should get a divorce. It's, it's just time for us to go our separate ways. It's time for us to move on. And at this point, now Scarlett is like, I want to make it work. I'm sorry for everything that I did. And Rhett basically, and Rhett has some really good lines in this movie. And he let her know that basically, you, you, your child to think, you have childlike thinking to think after everything you've done, you can just put a sorry on it and I'm, I'm supposed to forgive you. But basically, he's like, you've done too much. There's no, there's no recounseling at this point. And they even mentions to her that I love the fact we had a little girl because I felt like this little girl was you. This was like my chance to have someone like you pre-falling in love with Ashley that I could mold, that I could spoil, that I could love and would want the love in return from me. And... The very famous line at the end of this movie, or the very famous line from this movie, um, I'm about to play that right now. Where shall I go? What shall I do? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And just to give some context, that was Rhett's answer when pretty much Scarlett's trying to beg for him to stay, and he's like, I'm ready to move on, I'm done. And she goes, well, what am I supposed to do now? And then that's why he says that line. Okay, y'all. I pro <laughs> I did not expect this. <laughs> I didn't expect this podcast to be as long as the movie. But um, yeah, we're almost there. Okay, so I am going to get to my final thoughts of this film. Um, but like I said before, I just wanted to give an objective just oral commentary on it first uh as the movie as it is just pertaining to the plot and stuff just the important parts of it that you know was driving the movie along 
Um, but first, I'm going to get into like a couple things. I don't want to hold y'all too much longer, but <laughs> hopefully you're enjoying this. So, okay, I'll, let's go with favorite character. Who's my favorite character in this film? Rhett, for sure. He was the guy that popped up here and there. I felt like he popped up in different stages of her life where I guess you would almost think you would see growth in her, that maybe you see she'd be a different person, but she stayed the different, per she stayed the same person with the same mindset, if that makes sense. She stayed the same person with a different mindset. And it was also like, how can I get this money? How can I get this money? How can I advance me? How could I help me? It was just ways to be innovative to help herself, but never really, like the ice never melted from that cold heart. And so his presence, whenever he did appear, was enjoyable to see on the screen. He said a lot of wise things he was very articulate he was charming and just like her he goes after he wants but he's also passionate I mean he's also compassionate about how he talks to people and he does have a very nice way way with words so he was definitely my favorite my favorite scene in this movie and this was the part where she just when Scarlett just has her baby and Red and Mamie are in the room and I love this scene because this is the one moment we truly get to see Mammy be human. And when I say be human, because we're all human at the end of the day, but as far as our range of emotion and to be not something stereotypical, which are what most black people were put into roles to be, she got to just be a woman, okay? Because when Red's talking about his daughter and he's gushing about her, he wants to celebrate this moment with Mammy. He offers her a drink. And then at one point, Mammy lets him know that she is wearing the petticoat that she that he bought her. Now, there were some scenes before when Red and Scarlett first got married. He He actually mentioned to Scarlett, you know, you should buy something nice for Mammy. And she was so selfish, like, oh, she doesn't need it anyway. She'll probably refuse it because it's coming from you. So she didn't even think about Mammy and all of this. But Rhett did. And with all his riches, with all that he could be thinking about, he thought of getting something nice for Mammy. And that just showed how he humanized her, how he thought of her as a woman that she would like nice things, that she deserved nice things as well, even though she was the hell. And in this moment, Mammy isn't mad. She isn't talking fast. She isn't just the stereotype. She's just a woman who's having a conversation with another man and they're enjoying this moment and she gets to be happy. She gets to be relaxed. She doesn't have to be on edge. And I just felt like this was a really human moment. And the fact that Rhett doesn't act like she's beneath him, in which he didn't really do that at all to anybody. And that's what another thing I loved about his character is that he, it was like fair grounds like he was just he just seen people as people he didn't not saying he didn't see color he sees color but he's like I, I respect you I don't care about that you're the help I'm still going to respect you like human to human 
And it just showed Mammy in a different light because throughout the movie, she was, you know, seen as like aggressive and, you know, loud talking and talking fast and always angry or always, you know, scolding Scarlett about something. But in this moment, she just got to be loving. She got to be happy. She got to be excited. And she got to be more than the help. She got to just express emotion like a normal person, if that makes sense. I know anger is an emotion, but the way that they do in these movies, especially like movies showing slavery, it's like you're one note. And she was she got to be more than that. And and I love that. And I really I really enjoy that scene. That that's definitely my favorite. Now, um, before I get into uh, some uh, trivia here, okay, so to get into some trivia here, I'm just going to go into a little bit. Um, this movie was a novel that they turned movie by Margaret Mitchell, which was published in 1936, so about three years before this movie came out. Uh, this movie had was very, very popular by the masses. People loved this movie. Uh, I'm sorry. This book was very popular. People loved this book. People were excited about this book. And I thought it was crazy because this was actually the only book by Margaret. So she actually didn't write anything else. And then this would end up... I mean, this was the one thing that stuck and did really good. So, you know, because even with the Black people being in the movie, since they would premiere these at white theaters only, she wasn't actually able to attend the premiere um, because of the racial segregation. But, and Clark, Clark Gable is actually really upset about that. And he actually allegedly had threatened to boycott the premiere unless she could attend it as well. And of course, you know, Hattie McDaniel being the understanding, compassionate person she is, she thought that he should still go and pretty much like, don't worry about me, I'll be all right. I guess it's like, I got to be in the movie, so that's good enough. Her thinking, of course, possibly. Um, and then this movie actually, it, okay, so according to IMDb, um, if the box office receipts were adjusted for inflation, it would be the top grossing movie of all time. Um, and this would, it grossed more than Star Wars episode, episode six, A New Hope. Um, and then it would only be the second most successful movie of all time. So according to the Guinness World Records homepage, the gross in the 2012 figures for Gone with the Wind would basically be $4.4 billion that it made. And I'm guessing that's just, I don't know if it's when it initially came out or just like over time, that's how much it's grossed. Okay, so before I get into my actual final thoughts, I kind of want to go over just some elements of what would make this movie great. Um, they had great costume, um, great elaborate costumes and sets. Everything was very elaborate. The movie cost so much to make. Um, it was dealing with real issues such as slavery, adultery, and war. The main character wasn't just a ditzy, powerless woman. Um, she was beautiful and yet powerful and desired and independent and determined and was always calculated um, in any of her steps and would basically would stab or step on anyone that got in, in her way for anything that she wanted to do. So to be a woman and to be so cold-hearted that wasn't a very normal type of character for someone so that was definitely different and 
And then she had men flocking to her, not her like flocking over men necessarily, even though she had one that she really wanted, um, which is that, I mean, that would be different as well for that time. And it was also just a story ultimately about hope and persistence. And I'm, I'm guessing not to give up even when things seem grim or done that, you know, you can keep pushing forward. And then, you know, the fact that it glamorized the South when, you know, some people felt like that was the most beautiful time. Maybe some people thought that's what the great America was, was when it was in the 1800s and there were slaves and plantations and, you know, people were living off of the work of the slaves. So maybe people view that as the great, you know, whatever. So I want to go ahead and give my final thoughts on this. Now, mind you, it is a great movie for what it is. You know, some they have some very powerful lines in here. They have some very strong characters in here. They have a good story overall, um, some groundbreaking characters. But I, I mean, I put all of that aside but just so I could just watch this movie objectively. But ultimately, it did make me feel a little anger and disappointment every time I came, the black characters came across the screen because they were so limited. You know, a person of color was put in such a limited space back then in films. And I understand classic movies, you know, they have all these different elements that have advanced, either advanced technology, you know, had some groundbreaking characters, um, broke records, but this was all within a world that had a chance to make things right in a fictional world because, of course, it's fiction. So we don't have to duplicate life. We can do whatever we want in the realm of fiction, right? Um, but they still took advantage of of the disadvantage of others in the reality world. And so Black people are late to a race that started 400 years ago because initially they couldn't even compete so now they have to catch up and I just don't think it's fair that they couldn't truly belong and thrive in something that they were passionate about or something that they enjoyed doing or something that they you know really wanted to do in life such as having a career in acting and I do understand that black people did get roles back then and were somewhat included, but there was stipulations within the space that they were allowed in. So it's like, yeah, you can act in movies, but you can only be a maid, but you can only be, you know, sounding stupid. You can only be beneath everyone. There, there's so many dimensions to a human, but yet we're going to keep you one dimensional because we feel like that's appropriate. We feel like that's your true role. So not only do y'all do jobs like this in real life, but we're also in fiction. You're going to be there to dress the set, to decorate it and continue to play those roles. We don't see you as anything more. And it just never gave the black people a chance to branch out and to play these different human parts. Um, and there, and the, the, playing ground just was not even in the slightest and I know there was some independent filmmakers that were able to um, maneuver the industry to create their own films to create you know different roles for black people but at the same time it just wasn't fair as far as the mainstream movies and I just feel as though these classics lacked the proper talent that could have propelled some of these black actresses and actresses, actors and actresses that really could have had successful careers. 
And I know life isn't fair, but it, it just, I, I, I just, I, when I see these classic movies, I think of what could have been. What could have been the possibilities for black people in this space? And I know right now we're catching up. We're, you know, creating more diverse diverse worlds for black people. We're creating, uh, you know, black people to not only, you know, be in front of the screen playing diverse roles, but being diverse behind the sc scenes as well, being directors and cinematographers and screenwriters and all of that. And I get that. But... I feel like that is history we cannot sweep under the rug. So yes, we have these classic movies. Yes, we have these great movies. But let's not also forget that black people were not allowed in those spaces back then. And let's learn from this and let's continue to do better. Let's com continue to advance black people and people of color to be seen as human. Let's continue to humanize black people in these spaces. And so even though this movie, you know, ultimately when I watch this movie again, it's first of all, it's a long movie and I get it for its time. It makes sense for its time. But now that we're in 2020 and not the 1800s, it does look a little different. Like we're way past that and we're trying to do better. And, and the last thing that I'm going to do is anytime we do these movie analysis at the very end i'll rate it okay we have three ratings we have one which means i would movie worthy so i go to the movies to go see it or two i'll wait till it comes out on dvd i'll wait till it goes to Redbox. i mean that's normal even though you don't necessarily get Redbox, but you'll say i'll, I'll wait i'll see when it comes on Redbox. or three i'll wait till it comes on tv and to be honest, if I had to choose an honest rating out of those three, I would say, I would say for its time, I would probably rent it. Like an objective side of me would say this movie would be good to rent because you could actually sit down and watch it. But then the other side of me would be like, I'd wait till it come on TV. So I'm kind of torn between those two. Um, just because, like I said, it's easy as an objective side of me to be like, oh my God, yeah, this is a great movie. But I guess there's still some aspects of me, like I get it's a teachable movie, but at the same time, it's like, mm, you know, some stuff like that. When you're a person of color, you just don't want to watch it. But the plot overall was, you know, the plot was good. And... And yeah, you know what? That is all I got for the movie. Oh my God, this episode is so long, y'all. But I hope y'all stick stuck in. I hope y'all enjoyed it. And we'll be doing this. It, it's not all the time. This is some certain movies I'll pick out and we'll do. I have a few of them sprinkled throughout the rest of this year. But I hope you enjoyed this first episode. I'm so glad that we got through it. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to me. And you know what? Uh, the episode is over. The credits are rolling. The show is over. And I'm out of here. I'll see y'all at the next showing.